0: We are also in this manner going to give our full attention and our teaching time to this idea of anticipation, the looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, the Savior for which we know to be Jesus. And so each week we'll be looking at Jesus as our hope and Jesus as the one we can trust and Jesus is the one who is joy and Jesus is the one who gives life and Jesus who is the truth. So it will all be about Jesus in our teaching time as well. So let me invite you to turn with me now in the copy of your scriptures to Matthew chapter 1 as we look at the gift of Jesus who is our hope and that hope is rooted in the promise of Christmas. So that's why we're going to Matthew chapter 1, because the promise of Christmas is the point of Matthew 1 and Matthew 2. You may know this, maybe you don't, that the Gospels, each of the Gospels was written with a particular target audience in mind with a theme. Matthew is the gospel written to communicate to the Jews that Jesus of Nazareth was king of the Jews. The gospel of Mark was written to portray a suffering servant. The gospel of Luke was written more with a Gentile mind as the son of man, that Jesus was man. And the gospel of John was written to communicate that Jesus was the son of God. And so it shows by his words and works his deity. So if Matthew is indeed the gospel to communicate the king of the Jews, what we're gonna see in the birth of Jesus, that the birth of Jesus was the fulfillment of the promises given to the Jews of a savior, of a Messiah. And it is that promise Fulfilled, that is the reason that Christmas gives you and I hope. Hope in the promises of God. So turn with me, Matthew chapter 1. We're going to look together at the telling of the birth of Jesus through Matthew 1 and 2. Beginning in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and she shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins." Now, all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. So so this was in fulfillment to the prophet Isaiah, who said, chapter 7, 14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign behold a virgin will be with child and bear a son and she shall call his name Emmanuel so the promise of christmas that is recorded in Isaiah 7:14 is fulfilled in Matthew 1:18 through 25 which is what a boy would be born to a virgin So the fulfillment is in Matthew 1. Where was the the promise made? Did you write it down? Isaiah 7, 14. Isaiah said it would happen. A boy would be born to a virgin. And then it was fulfilled. Now, this this is always one of the ones that makes me kind of laugh a little on the inside as I tell a group of people, a boy's going to be born to a virgin. You just kind of write it down like, "Ho oh, oh, ho, yeah, 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 yeah. <clears throat> but there's not a person in here who would meet a person at Baptist South who just gave birth and who claimed to be a virgin. Here we go. A- a- apart from uh, some artificial... Insemination that had happened would not have happened in that day, you would go, that's not possible. So when Isaiah said this is going to be a sign, that's quite a sign that a boy would be born to a virgin. He promised, and Matthew, who is writing that Jesus is the fulfillment of a promise, he records first that Isaiah predicted it, and it has happened. Pick it up again. Now in Matthew. And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod, the king Magi from the east arrived in Jerusalem, saying... Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled. Uh, Why was he troubled? (laughs) Because he is the ruling authority and he is troubled that another one who is called king has been born. And all Jerusalem troubled with him gathering together all the chief priests and scribes of the people he inquired of them where the messiah was to be born you guys are the experts you know the prophecy tell me what i don't know you guys know things i don't know what is it and so they say to him in bethlehem of judea for this is what has been written by the prophets and you, Bethlehem, land of Judea, Judah, are by no means least among the leaders of Judah. For out, not our, for out of you shall come forth a ruler who will, wow, spelling too much turkey, who will <laughs> shepherd my people Israel. I don't know how that happens. That's even a copy and paste, but who am I to blame? Uh I'm lo- I've lost it here. This is <laughs> recorded where? Micah 5.2. But as for you, Bethlehem Epheta, Efer- too little to be among the clans of Judah. Fra- from you one will go forth for me to be ruler in Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. Wow. So, Is this some obscure thing that we're making up? Or did actually, even in the time of Jesus, those who studied the Old Testament understand that the Messiah would be born, where? In Bethlehem. Bethlehem. And what happened? A virgin gave birth to a boy in the town of Bethlehem. It was promised. Promised where? In Micah 5.2. It was promised in Micah 5.2. And it was fulfilled. Matthew records it. Because what's his goal? To show Jesus is the fulfillment of the promise. And therefore... You can have hope in him. Continuing the story back in Matthew 2. Pick it up in verse 13. Now when they had gone, the they here, because I skipped some of the section to save some minutes here, the sum of the section is they of the magi, the wise men. Now when they had gone, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, get up, take the child, and his mother And flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you for Herod is going to search for the child to destroy him Herod said he wanted to worship him he didn't want to worship him he wanted to kill him so Joseph got up and took the child and his mother while it was still night and left for Egypt he remained there until the death of Herod and this was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, out of Egypt I called my son. How could he be called out of Egypt if he was born in Israel? Because he fled to Egypt. But he calls him out of Egypt to come back. This was prophesied where? Hosea 11, 1, When Israel was a youth... I loved him, and out of Egypt I called my son. So Matthew chapter 2, 13 through 15 there, fulfilled in Hosea 11.1. And what was the fulfillment? That would give us reason to have hope that God is a promise keeper, that a boy would be born to a virgin in the town of Bethlehem. And then do What? but then flee to Egypt pick up the story verse 16 Matthew 2 now when Herod then when Herod saw that he had been tricked by the magi he became very enraged in other words he didn't get back they didn't get back with him they had escaped And not told him where. When they had been tricked by the Magi, he became very enraged and sent and slew all the male children who were in Bethlehem and all its vicinity from two years old and under, according to the time which he had determined from the Magi. Then what had been spoken through Jeremiah the prophet was fulfilled, a voice was heard, and Ramah weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. They'd been killed. So Matthew two, sixteen through eighteen is the fulfillment of Jeremiah thirty one fifteen. A voice is heard in Rama lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted for her children because they are no more. That's the fulfillment of a promise that a boy would be born of a virgin. Where? In the town of Bethlehem and then flee to Egypt? For what reason? To escape the assassination of children by their current ruling king. Now, let me acknowledge something. One of the hardest things to do is to teach at this time of year because you have heard it and heard it and heard it. But just pause and think about what has been said would happen. I mean, what a prediction that a boy born to a virgin, that would seem to be enough, but at an exact place in the town of Bethlehem. And then this craziness that they would flee to Egypt because there would be an assassination of children. That he would need to escape. That's incredible. But what makes it most incredible is this. Who prophesied this? Did you write it down? Isaiah. Isaiah lived 700 years before Jesus was born. 700 years before it happened. Isaiah said it would. Who said that he would be born in Bethlehem? Micah. Micah lived 700 years as well before Jesus was born. Amazing. Who said he would flee to Egypt? Hosea. Hosea lived 700 years before it happened. And who said the assassination of children would cause the mothers to weep because their children were no more? Jeremiah and Jeremiah lived 600 years. Really, let that sink in. The incredible gift that we have in this book in the story of christmas because it's become so familiar and because so many of us have known it for so long and kind of just believed it and believed it and believed it we've we've potentially missed and forgotten the phenomenal outrageous nature of really the the events surrounding the birth of Jesus, not only how unusual they were, but the fact that they had been predicted so long before they actually took place. To show, to show from the outside the absurdity of what really happened. Today, I predict that 700 years from now, You might want to write this down. That the president of the United States in 2722 will be the son of a virgin girl who lived in Gainesville, Florida, but gave birth in a trailer in Palatka. An angel will appear to bass fishermen who will leave their rods and reels and go see the baby wrapped in a camo jacket and lying in a mattress hanging under an old oak tree surrounded by a few pit bulls and a pet pig. You getting it? It's going to happen. Before the boys two years old, three wealthy men fly their Learjet from Saudi Arabia and offer the boy gifts of diamonds, Tesla stock, and cryptocurrency. <laughs> the president at the time finds the boy, finds out about the boy from a post on Instagram, sends SEAL Team 6 to wipe out all the children in Calac- palaca. but an angel appears to the boy's stepdad. He loads the family into their Hyundai, and they drive to safety in Ecuador. Well, that's stupid, right? But it was actually fun to kind of write just to capture the absurdity of what the whole world is going to celebrate for the next five weeks. That really, 700 years before it would happen, it was said A baby boy is going to be born of a virgin who grew up one place, but it's going to give birth to another. And people are going to come and worship him and lay down gifts in front of him. And other people are going to be afraid of him and try to assassinate him. And he's going to flee. Because an angel told them what was going to take place. And he's going to stay out of country. Until he returns to those who wanted to kill him, die. I have a simple goal this morning. That you would, with a renewed appreciation, understand the gift of hope that comes from the promises fulfilled in the birth of Jesus. It's amazing. It's outrageous. It's it's even from an outsider's, it's ridiculous. It's just as ridiculous as what I just declared what happened in 27-22. Except that's not going to happen. But it did. And Matthew recorded it so that you would know that God is a promise keeper in whom you can have your absolute greatest hope, that you can have confidence in him. Because the rest of the life of Jesus, friends, I can believe because I believe in his birth. And what really astounded me as I went through this study this year was simply this that I hardly ever run into anybody who rejects the birth of Jesus. They don't want to accept his life, they don't want to accept his death, they don't want to accept his resurrection, they don't want to accept his ascension. But they believe his birth. And I would actually suggest to you, his birth is every bit as amazing as his life, death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. If I can have hope and certainty and confidence in his birth and what God declared became exactly what happened, then I can believe everything it says about how he died and why he died, and what his resurrection means, and even then, what his ascension means. Let me just simply say it another way. I think the nature and the characteristics of his birth was intended to be as extreme as, and you know what I mean when I say this, absurd, as outrageous So that it would lay the foundation that what he would do in his death, his resurrection, and his ascension would be no different than what was true about his birth. So if we believe in his birth, that God told the truth about what would happen because of his birth, what do we believe about his death? I believe this because the scripture says it, that he himself is the propitiation for our sin. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world. That when you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us. Next word. All our transgressions, having canceled out their certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us. And he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. See, if I believe that a baby boy can be born to a virgin in Bethlehem and flee to Egypt to escape assassination, then I believe that same baby boy could grow to be a man. And that by his death, pay the penalty for my sin, that I could have the hope that because of his death, I can have every single one of my sins forgiven. That's an outrageous promise. That every single one of my sins, and not just of my sins, but what? What did it say, First John 2, 2? The sins of the whole world, every single one of them forgiven. Why? Because he took the wrath of God out of the way by his death on the cross. I don't don't disagree. That's outrageous that the death of one man could pay for all of my sin sin and your sin and your sin and your sin and your sin and the sin of the whole world. That's an outrageous claim. But no more outrageous than a boy being born to a virgin in Bethlehem who flees to Egypt to escape assassination by Herod. See, Christmas is the gift of hope that because his birth is true, his death does exactly what the scripture says. It gives you and I the opportunity to be forgiven. Every single one of our sin. Now, let me just unpack that just one more step. Every single one of your sin. Not just the sin, the sin that you think, well, that's forgivable, it's the sin you don't feel like is forgivable. You'll hear in a couple of weeks the gentleman who said, uh, "I, I think God can forgive some of my sin, but not all my sin." See, it's 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 the one who's gone. Yeah, but I have been unfaithful. I've, I've cheated. Or I've abused. Or I've aborted. That there's sin and then there's sin. And this can be forgiven. But this, I'm going to have to pay for. And the hope of the birth of a boy born to a virgin in Bethlehem who fled to Egypt to escape assassination is the reason that I believe that by that boy's death, every single one of my sins and every single one of your sin can be forgiven. There is no shame for those who trust in Jesus because it has been nailed to the cross taken out of the way it's the power of the hope that we have in jesus because of his death i have every single one i can have every single one of my sins forgiven what about his resurrection now if christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead if he has been raised how is there not but if there's no re- resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. You see the argument? If he's been raised, then there is a resurrection of the dead. If there isn't a resurrection of the dead, then he hasn't been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain, your faith also in vain. Moreover, we are even found to be false witnesses of God because we testified against God that he raised Christ. We said it was true when it wasn't true. Whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins, and those who are fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. But now Christ has been raised from the dead the first fruits of those who are asleep you understand what it means the first fruits of those who are asleep it simply means that all who have believed in him because he was raised if you have trusted in him because he has been raised what's that mean then first fruit you too will be raised the resurrection of the dead is an outlandish claim that Jesus was, I, I agree it's outlandish so is a virgin giving birth to a boy in Bethlehem who flees to Egypt to escape assassination of children and because I believe that I believe his death makes every one of my sin able to be forgiven, and by his resurrection, that I too can be raised because he was raised. And because he was raised, Paul goes on to say, same chapter, behold, I tell you a mystery, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. You know what that means? The dead will be raised imperishable. It means that body that is decaying, you'll be given a new body that will never decay. That turkey that you had left over that you put in the refrigerator, it is not imperishable. There's going to be a day where you open up the bag of the Tupperware and you go, Can't eat that anymore. You and I all know uh, this body is decaying. But because Christ was raised from the dead and was given a new body, then he is the firstborn, the firstfruits of all who will be given a new body. And what will be true of that new body is that that new body will be imperishable where this present body is perishable. We will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Death, decay, perishability, be swallowed up. Because of his resurrection, I can have eternal life and a new body that will live forever. That is the promise because of his resurrection. I can have eternal life in a new body that will live forever. Forever. This is not a life where you only live once. This is not a life where make the most of it now because this is your one shot. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, you and I who have trusted in him will not only have the gift of abundant life here and now, we have the gift of eternal life in a new body To be with the Lord forever. And all I'm trying to say to you if you're missing it is this. It is the certainty of the birth of Jesus. That a boy was born to a virgin in Bethlehem. And fled to Egypt to escape the assassination of children. That gives me every reason to believe that what has been said about his resurrection is equally true. Maybe you don't think much about when this body decays. But as folks feel the decay, what we just heard in the story, you feel the decay, you get cancer, you experience cancer, you think thoughts that you've not thought before. When things don't function like they always function, you begin to think thoughts that you've never thought before. And friends, there's either hope or there's just despair that this is it. That as good as it gets is behind me. What a horrible thought that as good as it gets used to be. That's a horrible thought. How could I not have despair if that's really what I thought? But I don't think that. The hope of the promises of God is that the best is yet to come. That this perishable will give way to the imperishable and the imperishable. See, watch. It's not only that the imperishable will be better, it'll be better and it will never end. The good news is about the perishable is that it, it is going to end. You ever think about it? It's good news that the perishable ends. It's even better news that the imperishable doesn't ever end. And then Jesus says to his disciples, Don't let your heart be troubled. The context here Jesus is in the upper room. He knows they don't get it yet. He knows. I'm gonna get arrested tonight and I'm gonna to die tomorrow. And so he's trying to prepare them. But he's been trying to prepare them. He said, I'm gonna go away. And they're like, No, we've we have reordered the priorities of our entire life to follow you. You can't leave us. I am. I'm going to go away. He says, Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. I'm leaving, but it's to prepare a place for you. Now, watch. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Don't let your heart be troubled. I am going away, but I'm going away for the sake that we would be together again forever. See, the foundation of my confidence in God is in the birth of Jesus that says, because of how he was born, I can believe that what is true about he died. He died to pay the penalty for my sin. Because of how he was born, I can believe about his resurrection is true for me, that I too will be raised from the dead and receive a new body. And because of how he was born, I can believe what is true about his ascension, that he, when he left Earth and he returned to heaven, that by his ascension, I have the promise of not only a new body, but a new home in heaven. And that's a big deal. Because he used to have an old home. And it was described as eternal, everlasting fire. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. A lake of fire, of constant, that was my old home. Maybe you don't remember. Maybe you've forgotten about. That used to have the promise of an old home home before Jesus. Hell. But because a baby boy was born to a virgin in Bethlehem and fled to Egypt to escape the assassination of children, I can have every reason to believe that by his ascension, I will get a new home in heaven with the Lord. He also said in that upper room, but I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Who's he talking about? The Holy Spirit. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides With you and future will be when Jesus ascends, He will be in you. The hope of the promise of the ascension of Jesus is that I have the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because He ascended, it is actually to my advantage so that Jesus will not only be with me, the Spirit of God. Would be in me. And as a partaker of the divine nature, don't let these words escape you. As a partaker of the divine nature, I would have everything I need for life and for godliness. Did you hear that? Because of the ascension of Jesus, the Spirit of God will come and dwell within me. And as a partaker of the divine nature, I will have everything that I need for life and for godliness. And then it also says, therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him. Since always he always lives to make intercession for them. So he was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life so that he would die a substitutionary death. Raise so that we would be raised and ascended, ascended to the right hand of the Father. Why? That He would prepare a place for us, that the Spirit of God would dwell within us, and that third, what? He would always live to make intercession for us, to intercede on my behalf, to be. My advocate before the Father, to be the one who hears and pleads on my behalf. You see, if you think sometimes, you ever think, I just feel like I'm talking to the air. My prayers aren't getting out of the room. Maybe sometimes. You ask somebody, hey, will you pray? My prayers aren't working. Nobody's listening. If you are a believer in Jesus, you have the promise that there is one who intercedes on your behalf, who represents you before the Father, that your prayers are heard. And what is the confidence that your prayers are heard? that a boy was born to a virgin in Bethlehem and fled to Egypt to escape assassination of children. It's that, the birth of Jesus is the foundation for everything that I believe in, for my salvation, for my resurrection, for my holy living, for my hope of heaven, and for my prayers being answered birth of Jesus matters. It is the gift of hope because it is the gift of promises fulfilled. So the band's going to come and and lead us in a song of hope of the promises of God. But let me ask you this, because I think this is a real question for every one of us. (coughs) Where do you need hope? Today Is it that you need the hope that your sins, all of your sins, would be forgiven? As sure as he was born, he died to forgive every sin. Would you trust in him? Maybe you need the hope. You don't want to voice it, but maybe what you really need is the hope of the slavery to a particular sin in your life being broken. You're enslaved. No matter how hard you try, you just keep going back to the same, and pardon the expression, but going back to the same vomit, the same sin, lust, lying, worry, fear. You've kind of given up hope that that life could ever be lived for you apart from that sin. I want you to know this. As sure as a baby boy was born to a virgin, that boy broke the penalty of sin and the power of sin in the life of your believer. And by his resurrection, you can walk in newness of life. You do not need to be a slave to sin any longer. And I want you If you would, this morning, to say in your heart, Lord, I believe in your birth. I want to learn to live according to your resurrection power. Maybe you need the hope of heaven, of a new body, because you're feeling the decay and the discouragement that comes from it. Jesus promises that where I am, you'll be also. And as I have been raised, you'll be raised. The perishable is going to give way to the imperishable. As I look across this room, I think some of you need the hope that your prayers are not falling on deaf ears. Does God hear? Does Jesus intercede for his children? As sure as a virgin, as sure as a virgin gave birth to a boy. Your prayers are not falling on deaf ears. All the promises of God. All the promises of God according to his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, and his ascension are true. And you can count upon them. Let's stand and declare together.
1: some promises Uh, the the, the scriptures are full of them so i want to read some out loud together Um, and, and in between each one let's just sing that all your promises are yes and amen so let's say this out loud together peter said to them repent and each of you be baptized in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit All your promises are yes and amen again All your promises are yes and amen But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life All your promises are yes and amen All your promises are yes and amen. John 16, let's read this. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. All your promises are yes and amen. One more, let's read this. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches the hearts know what the mind of the Spirit is, because He intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. All Your promises are yes and amen. All Your promises are yes and I will rest. And your promise is my confidence. As your faithful. Like I said, as we move into the season, let's, let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. One of the ways we can do that is through that booklet. If you haven't gotten an anticipation booklet, please do that. And if we can pray for you in any way, we have men and women available between each service to pray for you. God bless. Have a great week. We'll see you next time.